0: It's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show. You know, our mission is to serve you with advice and information that empowers you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In today's episode, I've got a new warning for you from the FBI about a change in tactics from scammers that are actually being very effective and successful stealing money from you. I need to make sure you know how to protect yourself. And also, clearly, the days of working for one company for an entire career, that's, I mean, it's almost never happening anymore. And I need to warn you about the consequences of the way the job world works now for your and my financial stability. It can be a good thing if you play your cards right, but it can also be a bad thing, and we need to talk that through. So here's a really gross thing. The FBI Internet Crime Complaint Center is such a good clearinghouse and then alert system to how scams migrate. Criminals now have found a very, very, very effective tactic combining what they do virtually with what they do physically to have a much better, for them, close rate, a much better success at stealing money from people. Let me tell you how it plays. And there's many variations of the method of operation I'm going to share with you. I just want it in your head. So, I mean, if I tell you that con artists try to contact you by phone, by email, by text, or through social media, you'd say, yeah, 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 old news. What if I were to tell you that the hottest successful tactic right now of scamsters is they contact you one of those ways and then follow up with an in-person visit to your home most often or where you work. So a lot of the scams involve people impersonating law enforcement or some kind of debt collector or Any circumstance where they create a sense of urgency, emergency in you, but they're still having trouble getting the percent of people they steal from up from a very low single digit. So that's when they hopped on a riskier strategy for them in terms of getting caught, but a much better success rate and intimidating or conning you into stealing money from you. They will say, oh, you got to do this right now or else. And then next thing you know, there's somebody at your door impersonating law enforcement or some other individual saying, okay, so if you want to avoid going to jail or whatever the story is, whatever the story is, they first contact you online, phone, something like that. And then they're at the door. People at that point freak. They'll go with the person to their bank. They'll go with the person to an ATM, whatever it is. Or if they have cash there, they're giving them cash. Know that this is a threat against your wallet, potentially a threat against your person, although I'm not aware of any physical harm, nothing posted by the FBI of physical harm, But if you see somebody standing at your door and you don't know who they are, why are you opening the door anyway? Don't do it. I mean, if they're in full uniform of a police officer, you're going to open the door. But these people aren't. They're pretending to be police detectives or whatever when they're pretending to be law enforcement. But usually they're not even going that far. They're pretending to be a debt collector who's going to take your car, whatever it is. So... When somebody is doing this, just remember what I've told you. This is the hot way of stealing people's money now. Fast-growing way of stealing money. And that one-two punch, contact virtually in some way, contact in person second, don't fall for it. And if somebody's there and you surreptitiously can call the police, maybe you're going to bust a fraud ring. Maybe. Maybe. Krista, what is your answer? Do you still have that doorbell thing that yeah. shows you the video? And how many people have you frightened by speaking to them <laughs> through the speaker and um, saying, get off my property I now. mean, no,
1: <laughs> I've only done that a couple of times. <laughs> just a couple of times. Okay. You but go they to, go
0: running, don't they? Yeah.
1: I would just say there's no soliciting. I'm not mean, but I just say there's no soliciting. Just so you know, please leave. Okay. We'll go to questions. Jeff in Virginia says, I'm looking for a new vehicle, either pre-owned or new. I currently am driving a 2000 Cadillac Escalade that's done me well for the last 20 plus years. And I bought it used. And now I have almost a quarter of a million miles on it.
0: This is fantastic. So you drive, uh, gosh, not very many miles, like 10,000 miles a year. The vehicles perform so long. I mean, that many years, even with what would be relatively low miles per year, moderate miles per year. This is fantastic.
1: It's really comfortable, very roomy, and I can haul a lot of stuff. Is this sponsored by Cadillac? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm hoping to get some more miles, but I know it's not going to last forever. I'm hoping to buy one that will last me another 20 years. Can you let me know what I should be looking at that would be comparable?
0: So there are, the difference from 2,000 is all brands now have various forms of bigger SUVs. It's just, you know, so dominant in the marketplace. And so when the time comes, I would pay for access to Consumer Reports, or if you're a member of your library, have access through it, because Consumer Reports has the most extensive data on the most reliable vehicles. And whatever is now at the time, whether it's this year or in 25 or 26, whenever the Escalade decides it's done, that's when I would hit up Consumer Reports and see what are the kind of vehicles that would give you the best chance of being able to have it on the road the next 20 years And they've got predicted reliability of new models. They have existing reliability of used vehicles. And they'll show you their vehicles that they believe are going to stand the test of time and last the longest.
1: Ted in Washington says, your constant praise or softball Walmart criticisms are tiresome. How many Walmart shares do you own? I guess that should have been in Clark Stinks, but it came in through the regular channel.
0: That's fine. Um. I don't own Walmart stock. I did long, long ago. So I just picked on Walmart in a recent show about ranking the worst in customer service for grocery shoppers, even though they're the nation's largest grocer. So Walmart, like Amazon, is such a large presence in retail that they can't be ignored and they need to be talked about. I praise Walmart because they used to... treat their workers really badly, pay them poorly, they pay much better, and they seem to treat their workers better than they used to. Walmart has customer service issues. Just read about all the complaints people have about checkout at Walmart and and all the issues with self-checkout at Walmart. They're not perfect, obviously. No organization is. And they're never on the list of the best places to work or to shop. You want that combination? You go to the one that people say, I am tiresome about, Costco.
1: Okay, Annie in New York says, I'm listening to the podcast about preventing food from going bad. I worked in food service and we call it FIFO, first in, first out. When shopping takes from the back, but don't tell everyone this, if we all do it, it stops working.
0: Okay, that's funny because, you know, I talked about that recently on the podcast about how I reached to the back and uh, I was recently at Aldi. I was getting stir from the bottom Greek yogurt because I can't eat my fun candy type yogurts anymore. Now I have to eat these Greek yogurts. So the ones in the front were expiring in just a few days. The ones in the back didn't expire for like 50 days. So I, you know, reaching all the way back paid off for me. And that is something that very few people do. And all supermarket stocking is done that way to put the stuff that's going to expire the soonest in the front, the new merchandise way in the back. And looking at those pull dates, the Best Buy dates, the expiration dates, use by dates, I'm obsessed with doing that. So, thank you for the suggestion. I did exactly what you told me not to. I talked about it and reinforced even more why a savvy shopper does that. Coming up ahead, there's clear patterns of employment that have changed so much that are having brutal impacts on people's financial health. And I want to talk about that and how this applies to you, protecting yourself from what looks like the inevitable job change and job loss in current American employment.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: The number of jobs that people have over a working lifetime out of when they finish formal education, whether it's high school, uh, trade or technical school, university, whatever, The number of jobs people have over the core working lifetime keeps going up and up and up and up. And even baby boomers, which were considered to be the last cohort that had more consistent longer work cycles at various places, have had one study I saw recently, and I'm sorry I can't remember the source to cite, had 15 different jobs over their working lifetime most baby boomers now had because they're outside of core employment years. And then a new set of data that came from Data Wrapper found that of male baby boomers, they didn't survey women, only men. Okay, only four in 10 had stable employment over their key working years. So, this is in addition to having so many jobs. There were periods that 60% of men had significant unemployment cycles, and not just being unemployed for a short period, I mean longer unemployment periods. Only one in four men in the baby boom, and it'll be lower in the generations behind, had steady employment. For their entire work cycle, core years are considered when you finish education up to age 62 or 65, depending on how the stats are kept. So this means that people have a lot more insecurity in the workplace with stable income and with paying bills than had been true for a number of generations following the Great Depression up until really this last cycle of employment in terms of generation, the baby boom, and then everybody behind faces less security. It's like we're all, at some degree, entrepreneurs, even if we work for the man or the woman, whoever the boss is, that we now face a different cycle of how employment will work And it calls for different financial circumstances. Something that's become more and more clear to me over the years is that saving money when you're working is kind of like squirrels that save acorns for the winter. So that's what's happening with finance now. It's always been like an article of faith, have a rainy day account, but now the need for it has become so much more obvious that out of each paycheck you have, you need to do a split deposit. I was talking to my oldest daughter about this, and I didn't even know that Rebecca had been doing this her whole adult working lifetime, that she was always doing a split deposit. A portion of every paycheck goes into rainy day in a savings account, and the rest goes into... Her checking account for living life and spending. I was so proud of her that she'd been doing this since she started working, and I never even knew it. But it's the kind of thing, because of the instability about how we rent employers and employers rent us, and then we end up with these cycles of unemployment, that you've got to make part of the mentality that you're prepared for the rainy days. You're prepared for Winter, When there's no food to eat, or whatever it is, whatever the circumstance is, whatever the analogy is you like best, it's getting the idea in your head of having part of your math of every paycheck being about how you have money for current living, how you have money for long term, which is the 401k, the Roth, whatever, and that you have money for unexpected rainy day. And the reality is that unexpected rainy day, it always rains. The point is, you don't do all this in a moment, in a day. It is a change in mentality about building the financial security for your life so that when the unexpected does happen, that inevitably does, that you're as prepared as you can be. Krista?
1: Mark in North Carolina says, Clark often talks about his travel philosophy of go where the deal takes you rather than setting your mind on a specific destination, and I love this. But I'm wondering if Clark has advice for a specific travel scenario where you don't have flexibility. That is, last-minute booking to a fixed location, whether it's for a deceased relative, some other family emergency, or just because you want to make a spontaneous trip. If you're close enough to drive, you can simply jump in the car for a last-minute road trip, which I love to do sometimes. But why can't this be an option for flights without breaking the bank? It seems to me that if a plane has open seats that still haven't sold near the departure time, why wouldn't there be opportunities for discounts? Does Clark have any tips for doing last-minute flights at reasonable prices, or is this just pure fantasy?
0: It's not pure fantasy. Let's deal with the fun part of this first. Uh, Several airlines used to offer programs with last-minute deals. They would see what wasn't selling for that weekend or extended travel period the longest they'd let you do it typically was seven days and they would publish an online list of where you could go on bargains from where you were a member of their club to where you wanted to go and of the major airlines The last one standing with this was Delta, Mm -hmm. had the Delta Escape Club. That was so fun.
1: Escape program,
0: escape club, whatever. You would go like Saturday to
1: Monday or Tuesday
0: usually for the deals. And so it was specifically designed to fill seats that would go unfilled. The airlines these days run such high load factors. They have so few empty seats that none of the airlines seem really interested in this. They want to hold back every last seat for people facing death emergency or business traveler, because the airline's design is if somebody has to go at the last minute to charge them as much as you could possibly imagine for those final seats. So it's the opposite of what you're thinking that they'd want to offer last minute bargains to fill those seats. They'd rather a seat go out empty so that the last person who buys is paying uh, an outrageous fare for the flight, which goes to The sad part of your question, somebody having to get to somebody's bedside who's ill, getting to a funeral, anything like that. There are no effective strategies. Airlines used to offer what were called bereavement fares, and they've pretty much gone the way of the dodo bird. So what I would say is you go to Hopper or Google Flights and see what's available. Only look one way and see what's available going when you immediately need to go. Never do a round-trip search for travel in the United States when you're having to buy a last-minute airfare, because then it'll default to showing you what's the lowest fare using that airline round-trip. Seldom is the same airline the lowest price both ways. So you see what's the cheapest, and you check any cities near where you can depart from or near to where you need to go that you can arrive to. I can't get you a bargain fare, but I can get you one that's much lower if you follow that strategy.
1: Randy in Florida wrote in, what is considered the best mattress and box spring set for durability in today's market? I see there are several newer companies out there that ship right to your home, but then the buyer is left with discarding the old mattress, which I suppose may not be a really big deal. Also, does the box spring have to very much to do with the sagging or would I be wasting my money getting the set? Thanks. I love your podcast.
0: Thank you very much for that, Randy. And the reality is almost nobody ever buys a box spring anymore. The mattress market has changed. And if you look, you'll see very few box springs for sale anywhere you're looking at beds because now overwhelmingly people use some form of platform the bedding market has moved so much towards the compressed mattresses that don't need a box spring. They only need a platform. It's a lot easier when you move somewhere else, you don't have to move box springs. You just are moving your mattress and it lowers the cost because the platform works mattress after mattress. You don't have box springs getting old on you, but if you do need box springs ever, you know, cause you've got a bed, you can now buy box springs, that are KD box springs that you build yourself. That are very durable, usually made out of metal combined with wood. They're very inexpensive because they ship very small, you know, in knockdown containers. And building them, depending on the one you buy, usually about uh, seven to fifteen minutes. Some will be longer. Uh, usually, you can read reviews to see how easy they are to build. You can buy the box spring wherever the mattresses. The compressed mattresses have a useful life, if you like it, usually of at least 20 years. If you buy one that you hate, it's bad to have it after 20 days or 20 hours. But if you buy a mattress, you only want to buy now one that has a right to return for a full refund. That is a promise you look for, not one of these sleep guarantees that they'll give you a credit towards another mattress. That's useless because you're buying from somebody who already sold you a mattress you don't like. So you want the right to return for a full refund. Consumer Reports is rated mattresses. There are a number of sources that do online. You'll be stunned how inexpensively you can buy an ultra high quality mattress now, king size, You can find really good ones under $650 on sale easily. You don't have to spend thousands anymore. You brought up a legitimate problem. Your old mattress, nobody wants them. In lots of states, it's illegal for them to be used again, and you're going to have to figure out disposal. Many of the companies you buy a mattress from offer some form of additional fee for disposal of your existing, and depending on where you live, The local government may have bulk pickup days where they'll pick up something like an old mattress from you.
1: And really, in terms of the best one, everybody's taste is different in terms of like firmness and stuff. But the warehouse clubs, that's nice because you can test them out. Like they'll have at least a sample of the mattress that's in a box that you can
0: feel and you can return them. But, you know, a lot of those samples are like... I know you can't lay on them. <laughs> yeah. If I can't lay on it, I didn't learn anything, mm-hmm. but you know, I have never bought one of the, um, compressed mattresses that I wasn't happy mm-hmm. sleeping on, but maybe I'm just not particular enough.
1: Christine Georgia says, I just wanted to share an ongoing issue with the behemoth McDonald's. Ah. I use the mobile app to place an order while traveling to a relative's house. I preloaded my order and hit submit from the road. So the food would be hot and it was erroneously diverted to the closest store rather than the one pre-selected before my drive. When I arrived to the store to pick up the order, I was told that it was 10 miles away. I immediately called the store and asked for a refund and was told that I couldn't get one. The manager couldn't even give me the 1-800 number from McDonald's to complain, saying she didn't know it. I've since made three calls to the 1-800 number requesting a refund for this $15 mobile order that I didn't pick up, And I've been told 95% of our stores are franchises. We have no control over their processing of refunds. It has been almost a month now. Should I dispute the charge with my
0: credit card? That's the only way you're going to get the money back from McDonald's. This has been a problem with the McDonald's app. The McDonald's app geolocates. I know because I use the app. What happened to you has happened to me one time where I switched manually the location you can pull up a map and pick, you just punch it and it will then say, okay, we're going to have the order at blah, blah, blah location where you wanted it to go. I placed the order, got there to get it. And it was, in my case, it was three miles away. I didn't walk away from the money. I drove, to, you expect that from me, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I drove three miles away <laughs> and got my food, but they have no system. And they tell you at the final screen that they will, once you click here, There's no refunds no matter what, and they seem to mean it. It's a customer no-service policy. On that last screen, anyone who uses the McDonald's app, you'll now see they have a big warning. Reconfirm the location because it's obviously a problem people have had with the McDonald's app, and the fact that they have no way to refund your money is crazy. I had a problem with a Chick-fil-A online order once went in the store. The manager on duty just did whatever, and the money instantly appeared right back on my app. And McDonald's should get its act together. They want people using the app. You shouldn't do things that make the app a dissatisfier instead of a satisfier. So I'm really sorry that happened to you. And uh, unfortunately, I am so limited on what I can eat from a McDonald's now because post surgery, I have to. I mean, it's funny. You would laugh if you saw me order food now. How particular I have to be yeah. to protect my new heart valve. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm, for one, I'm glad that you're eating less of that fast food.
0: And I'm eating fruits and vegetables I mean, and fresh fish and all this stuff.
1: Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs>
0: <laughs> for you.
1: <laughs> for everyone listening, too. I miss all my greasy,
0: bad-for-me food. I'm sorry. Oh, well.
1: need to get an air fryer.
0: We have an air fryer. Oh, do you use it? Lane does. I yeah. don't know how to use it. Well, that's a I don't great... know how to use the microwave. Do you know, I have, a lot of times I'll just have a baked potato with nothing on it as my meal. All right. I, I punch all these holes in it. Yeah. And then cook it for... Our microwave, it takes 10 minutes, and then I eat the baked potato. It's pretty bland. Yeah, well. But it's an okay item for me to eat. Okay. You don't like baked potatoes?
1: I'm not a big fan. I like sweet potatoes, baked sweet potatoes, but I don't like regular baked potatoes. But I'm just saying an air fryer is a great option if you miss your greasy food to, like, have that sort of taste without all the fried fat.
0: Okay. Maybe someday in a different life I'll learn to use something other than a microwave. Yeah. Probably not. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And those of you that get so upset about how I eat, I just gave you a whole bunch of new material, didn't I? Remember what we're about here is you learning ways to save more and spend less and avoid getting ripped off. And one of the best ways to do that is subscribe to our free daily newsletters at clark.com slash newsletters or newsletterworks, either one and we make it just as easy for you to dump our newsletter as to sign up if you're later. Clark, you said this newsletter was great. I don't get it. But what you'll find instead, you'll probably get it, and you'll probably love it, and it's at my favorite kind of price.
2: It's free.